Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Thank you, Daniel and Kirsten. I bet if we took a vote right now, if you could hear three more songs by them or hear me preach, I think I'd be going home. (laughs) That was beautiful. Thank you, guys. Not too long ago, uh, my wife Jessica and I were thinking through how many different homes we've lived in, both in our childhoods and since we've been together. I've been in more than average, I think, just because it was a military family and a ministry family, and sometimes we would have to move for different military postings or ministry assignments. Um, For me, it was a little over 18, depending on what you count. Thankfully, in the course of those moves, we had beautiful, long seasons of ministry. Seven years in Pennsylvania, uh, I was a music minister and a young adult pastor. We had eight years in Los Angeles planting churches, already four and a half years here now in the Nashville area, and we're just thrilled to be putting roots down, and Lord willing, we'll just spend decades with you guys here and raise our kids. What's amazing to me, though, is when we were in apartment life in California, We were in spaces that were um, less than half the size of what we're in now, probably less than a third of the size of what we're in now. And it's like a miracle took place because we somehow grew into the size of the house we're in and still have no space. Can anybody relate to that? I don't know how that happened. I mean... We did have storage units when we were in California to keep some of the stuff. In fact, we have some boxes that we packed up before, uh, we, before that moved like 15 years ago that spent the entire eight years in storage in California. And now we have here in our garage in Tennessee that we still haven't opened yet. And, and once we buy a house, um, we're going to dive into all those. And someone said recently to me, it was like an unintentional time capsule experiment, which is true. We're going to be surprised whatever we open up and find. But I can't believe how full our giant house gets. I don't know where we got all this stuff. It gets so full that when we have companies stay with us for any amount of time, we actually have to make room for them because even though there's two extra rooms, one is a toy room, one is a spare bedroom, they get so full of stuff that we have to go through it again. Anybody with me? It's confession morning. My in-laws are in town and let me honor them and say hi. Marty and Lisa Kemp, they're right there if you guys could wave. Yeah. If we did not value them, we would not have made room for them. But we value them, therefore we made room in our house for them. And it's this opening principle I want to set up the message with. We make room for what matters to us. If they didn't matter to us enough, we just wouldn't make room and we could have no visits. But beyond just space, I think it's incredible how we as humans can fill up all the open space in our lives, not just homes or rooms or apartments, but our thought space, we get very full. Our heart space gets very full. Our time and our schedule, have you ever noticed it just seems to pile up? Sometimes I'll look ahead at a week and I'll think, oh, wow, I really don't have that much on the schedule that week. It's normal workflow, normal family flow. And then by the time I get to that week, I'm like, oh, my goodness, this week is packed. Can anybody relate? We have this like human tendency to just completely fill any space that we have. And I think that can have a negative effect on us because sometimes we, we claim to really value the presence of God and his word, but we make very little room for it in our lives. And the scripture we're going to look at today out of John chapter 8 gives us 
really a caution and an invitation about making room for God's word. And we're just literally using the words of Jesus out of this text. We're studying through the whole gospel of John. We've been in John chapter 8 for three or four weeks, but you can really jump in uh, any Sunday. But if you want to go get the context, you, there's, a, there's a backlog of John 1 through 7 and the first half of John 8 so far. It's, it's probably like 20 or 30 sermons already. Not, not that anyone would ever want to sit through that, but you can go back and uh, listen to some of that and study the book to get a broader context. But for definition's sake, let's look at what God's word means the definition of it. Based on the BLB commentary, the word of God can mean four different things in scripture. It can mean something that God has decreed. It can mean words that God spoke through the prophets. It can mean Jesus Christ himself, the word in the flesh. And finally, it can mean God's written word, the Bible. In the context of John chapter eight, the word is a translation of the Greek word logos, which is interpreted as referring to Jesus, and it's indicated in other verses and later in the same chapter. For example, the word became flesh, talking about Jesus, and dwelt among us. So that gives you a little bit of the setup for what we're looking at here, starting in verse 31 of John 8. It'll be on screen. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. The way we're doing this series is we take time reading the entire scripture that we're looking at for that Sunday because we want to make much of God's word. So even if my sermon bombs, we've read the scripture, and the day is a win. So starting in verse 31, this is right after the Feast of Tabernacles. Everyone is debating who Jesus really is. These are tense moments. People are fighting. Some love Jesus. Some want to kill Jesus. There are all kinds of people feeling threatened. And here we have this conversation with some of the Jews, and particularly some of the Jewish leaders of the day, speaking with Jesus. It says, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you were looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. So Lord, 
we come before you today humbly, and we're reading this account of this conversation that is so very tense and confrontational. And Lord, we just have a simple prayer that you would speak to us through your word directly into our individual lives and circumstances and to us as a church family. Give us ears to supernaturally hear your voice today, for we believe you are among us. And give us eyes to supernaturally see what you're doing and to see your nearness and see your presence among us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It starts with Jesus' declaration of what I preached about last week, verses 31 and 32. He says, to the Jews who had believed in him, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So he's just connecting a few dots there. He said, to be a disciple of Jesus is to do what I say. It's to hold to my teaching. And then, only then, is when you can know the truth and the truth actually sets you free. And we talked about how if you want to be free based on this scripture, the best thing you can do in any situation is obey Jesus. And we talked about how obedience is actually a wonderful invitation from God. It's not like we have this harsh taskmaster taskmaster wanting to beat us down with rigid rules for no reason. We have a loving father who gives us the, the law of God that actually works because he wants our lives to soar. And I, I use the metaphor of, of flying to describe what obedience to Jesus actually looks like. If you weren't here, I picked up my six-year-old daughter and I did the Superman airplane game with her, whatever you want to call it. It's where you hold them in the football hold, facing forward, and they put their arms out. And I ran down the middle of the sanctuary and I ran back because I believe that's a beautiful picture of what our obedience to God looks like. He gives us this incredible invitation. And then after he gives that invitation, look at the response in verse 33. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Now, what you're seeing here is people that have gotten angry and offended at the notion that they are not already free. They're demonstrating that they do not have humility to receive what God is saying to them. They're demonstrating that they don't have what Scripture calls poverty of spirit. In, in the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. What that really means, at least partially, is to have poverty of spirit that is more than willing to confess our need. Humility is the key to the kingdom of God. Think about this these, two, these verses juxtaposed. You have Jesus, the Son of God, giving the invitation to freedom, and then you have the response of defensiveness and feeling threatened. Who are you to say we're not already free? And I just want to caution us together not to be so quick to think that we're not like the people Jesus is talking to here. It's easy to get to a point that we think we don't have the need that we actually have. And I've talked recently about, because this chapter just keeps pointing to this, we're in an area that has a Christian subculture to it. And, and these descendants of Abraham were literally, by lineage, physical descendants of Abraham. So they're thinking that just based on their lineage, Abraham is their father, and they naturally completely belong to God. But Jesus is saying that's not the case, as we're going to see in this text. And sometimes we can think that just because we belong to a Christian subculture, we belong to God. And it's not necessarily the case. And we're going to continue to look at how we can know that based on this 
text. We've talked about it. I think Andy even alluded to it in one of the services as he was leading earlier. You know, we have the Christian music industry. We have Christian publishing. We, we, it can be an advantage in some industries here to say you're a Christian. And so, so we buy into this and we have a lot of churches and that's beautiful. And it's not knocking any of those incredible ministries. But just because we're a part of it doesn't mean we're humbly receiving the word of Jesus in our own life. You tracking with me? And we need to keep our hearts before the Lord in a humble posture. And it leads to this second principle. Don't get offended when Jesus confronts you with truth and invites you to freedom. That's exactly what's happening here. He is lovingly confronting them with truth and always leaves this open invitation. He does it because he loves us. The reason God is against sin is because he's for you. I can probably attest with every seasoned follower of Christ in this room that would say if they looked back on their journey of following Jesus, their most significant chapters of growth have come when they were most confronted with the truth in love. Can anybody attest to that? And I bet you a lot of us would attest when we were first confronted with the truth in love, we didn't react amazingly. I can look back to times that my parents had to confront me with the truth in love about even my walk with God. It was I can count them on one hand, but when they did, it was a big deal. And almost every time they did it, especially when I was in my adolescence, I responded feeling threatened. And therefore, I responded with anger. And that's what the people here are doing that Jesus is talking to. So it's worth searching our hearts and saying, how are we responding to the truth that God is speaking to me right now? And then Jesus further clarifies in verse 34, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. This is just the most logical statement Jesus could make, but we forget this. And the people he was talking to are not realizing this. They're saying we've never been a slave to sin. But Jesus is saying, hey, if you sin, you are a slave to sin. Therefore, every single one of us in this room has at some point or another been a slave to sin before we were in Christ. And then even when you are in Christ and in the faith, you can still enter into entire seasons of life where you start giving in to sin, whatever kind of sin it might be, and you can once again come under the harsh taskmaster of sin. I think much sadness and brokenness and even things like depression and anxiety disorders in the world, yes, there are real chemical imbalances that need to be addressed, but I think that much of it is the consequence of simply being a slave to sin. Like we have before us a path to walk in the light, and if we consistently don't choose to do that, even when we're in Christ, we will eventually not be walking in the light. And we'll be riddled with all kinds of lies in our thoughts and in our hearts. And the principle is this. This is worth memorizing. Sin makes big claims, but never works. The reason we sin is because we think it's gonna do something for us. We think it's gonna help us in some way. We think something is gonna feel good. It's gonna fulfill something. Even things like anger. I was just at the auto shop this week taking care of my wife's van that had gotten a screw in the tire. And they said, bring it by 8 a.m. tomorrow. We'll take care of it. You'll be in and out in 45 minutes. And Jessica was like, can you take it for me? I was like, sure, I got it. I'll bring my, my mobile, can't wait. Of course, it ended up taking closer to two hours and I was sitting there, my schedule messed up for the day, knowing Jessica was about to call me 
because we had a plan because I was going to get out. We had this whole thing we were about to do and things that I had to get to for work. And now I couldn't do it. And I was imagining what the phone call with Jessica was going to be. And I had decided at one point, I'm going to tell her how I really feel, which is, thanks for making me take in your van. Thanks for causing my schedule to be completely off today. I might not have said those exact words, but I wanted her to feel that I was sacrificing. I wanted her to understand there was a cost to my love. And I essentially wanted her to feel a little bit of blame. This is all just sinful nature stuff, right? Thankfully, I was working on this sermon in the shop. (laughs) That helps. And I had just written down the point, sin makes big claims but never works. And by God's grace, I had again just the aha moment that we have to repeatedly have with our choices. Why would I have a conversation with Jessica like that? Is that going to make things feel better for me? Is it going to make my wife flourish and help her have a wonderful day? Is it going to reiterate my posture towards her to lay down my life for her and love her and serve her? It's not going to do any of those things. It's not going to serve us in any way for me to try to put any blame or frustration on her, right? Sin is making an empty claim to me, an empty promise, a great claim. It makes me think, you, you really need to do this. And so by God's grace in that moment, I was like, all right, I'm not going to do that when I talk to Jessica. I'm just not even going to act frustrated. I'm just going to say, hey, it's taken two hours now. It's all right. We'll figure it out. I don't even need to tell her about what I'm having to change in my day. Just let it be. I will admit, once I actually got on the phone with her and we started talking, I was once again tempted. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like you can make the pre-decision, but then I got on the call and I was tempted again. And here's just a helpful principle here. I don't always get these kind of moments right, obviously. Thankfully, I got this one right probably because I had just written this point in the sermon. But Scripture says, in your anger, do not sin. So it's basically saying that anger by itself isn't necessarily sin. It's what you do with it. It's the choices you make. And you can apply in whatever kind of sin you're wrestling with. And I invite you, even as I'm talking right now, to allow the Spirit of God to search your heart and reveal to you the things that are in your life that he does not want there. Again, he is not opposed to the sin because he just has arbitrary rules. He is opposed to the sin because it hurts you. He doesn't want me acting out in anger towards my wife, no matter how many things happen that frustrate with me, frustrate me, because it's not going to serve our marriage. It's not going to help us raise our children well. Whenever, anytime I'm short with Jessica, one of the sad things that happens that I've noticed, and this doesn't always happen, is she is more likely to be short with our kids or vice versa. If she's short with me and frustrated with me, I'm then more likely to be short and frustrated with our kids. And it's just a negative trickle-down effect, but Jesus offers us a way to not do that by exposing the lie of the promise that sin makes. I've had other times where it took me a week to really repent before my wife for some kind of anger that I had and way that I treated her or some decision that I make. And sometimes you let those go for weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months and years. And these are the things that take down marriages, cause us to live in hopelessness, cause us to believe there's no future. We have no vision for even a relationship anymore. And it's not just marriage. This applies to every area of our life and every relationship that we have. The good news is, Sin, though it's very dark and though it leads to some very terrible things, in the middle of it, the good news shines even brighter. And look what Jesus says right after this. A slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So when we're living under the slave 
taskmaster, I'm sorry, when we're living as slaves under the taskmaster of sin, we're not living in the context of the family that we've been bought into by Jesus. And he is saying, I am the son of God, and if I set you free, you will be free indeed. And this is worth a clarification, guys, because when I was in that auto shop wrestling with how I was going to respond to my wife, I was not in fear of my salvation. It was all in the context of I know my faith is in Christ. I wasn't thinking if I get angry at my wife on this call and treat her badly, I'm going to hell to burn forever because I know my faith is in Christ. I am saved in him and him alone. This is about how will you now live in Christ? Because you can put yourself back under the yoke of slavery through sin. Are you tracking with me? So it's more in that moment, part of what you need to do is preach the gospel to yourself. God, thank you that you've given me new mercy today. Thank you that you've given me a clear path of life and this great salvation. And that is part of what empowers you to say no to sin and yes to grace and yes to the way of Jesus. So it's a beautiful thing and we need to be reminded the good news, number four, is that you can be set free by the Son. And if you haven't made that initial decision to say, I commit my life to you, Lord, you can do it right now as I'm talking to you. You can just say in your heart, I put my faith in you, Jesus. Forgive me for where I've fallen short. I want to follow you for all my days. Salvation is by grace through faith. Then Jesus goes on to explain, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. There's where he says that phrase. He makes a connection between these people whom he loves. Instead of receiving the truth from him, they are trying to kill him. And the reason he points out is that they have no room for his word. So Jesus sets us free. We are made free by faith, through, by, by grace through faith. But we have a part in becoming free, which is to make room for the word. That's number five. Jesus is the word, and we understand the word through the scriptures, and we must walk with the humility to confess our need and make room for something to actually change in our lives. Every time someone has a a transformative moment with the Lord, it is because they have made room for the word. Anytime someone grows in their faith, it's because they have made room for the word. That's why things like fasting are so powerful. You're saying, instead of eating this meal, I'm just going to seek the Lord. Make room for the word. Fill your hearts and minds with the scripture. Anytime I'm teaching my kids scripture, there is this profound sense that Jess and I are investing into them the greatest treasure in the universe. Make room for the word of God. Practically how it looks is number six, make room for his voice through connection with the spirit, the word, and the church. I believe these are the three primary areas. So literally say, come Holy Spirit into my life. Today is Pentecost Sunday, actually. We are commemorating and remembering when the Holy Spirit was poured out and the church was born over 2,000 years ago as recorded in Acts chapter two and really the entire book of Acts. I wanna encourage you to make it a habit in your life to say, Spirit of God, you're welcome here right now. By God's grace, that's what happened to me in that little auto shop. So it was through his word and by his spirit. And then make room for his word. Get it in your mind. Get it in your heart. Actually memorize the words of God in scripture. If you need to listen to it. I'm going through the Bible in a year through that Bible app that we talked about at the beginning of the year with Nikki Gumbel. You can just listen to it for 15 minutes a day. It's just ways of making room for God's voice. And then part of how God speaks the word to us is through the church. So I grow in my faith through knowing Pastor Oscar. He grows in his faith through knowing me. 
And because we're committed to each other and journeying together, God will make himself known to each of us through us. And this goes for the whole body. And let me just say it really bluntly. I've said it before, but it is completely on you to prioritize connection to the body of Christ. It's literally undelegatable. No one can do it for you. And one of the primary strategies of the enemy is to isolate you. He will try to make you think no one here really has your back. No one here really can listen to what you're going through. No one here really wants you in their group or wherever it is, whatever it is. All these things that we emphasize on a Sunday like this, community groups, serving on teams, committing to gathering with the church, it's all to just try to make room for God's word through the connection with the body. That's all it is. And so I wanna just challenge you and encourage you to have the courage to take those steps and to be vulnerable with some people. And we encounter a lot of folks that have a lot of pain from the last time they tried. And there's just a truth that we heal in community, but we do get hurt in community as well. It's like any family, healthy families, we can flourish, but healthy families, no matter how great they are, we do get hurt as well. It always takes the risk of getting hurt because we are walking with people. I will let you down. People around this room will let you down, but we will grow in grace together. And it takes the consistent decision to make courageous and vulnerable decisions. I love how Stephen Houlet says, one of our recovery ministers, he says, the more I don't wanna go to something, the more I know I need to go. (laughs) And I'll just make that confession with you guys about myself too. I oftentimes don't wanna connect with people. It's a weird thing for a pastor to say, but I'm like kind of a learned extrovert and plenty of times uh, there's like a group or something I'm supposed to go to. It might even be something I'm leading. Um, It might even be Sunday morning. And, and if I just had the choice, I'd be like, forget it, I'm not gonna go. And sometimes when I do have the choice, I'm like, Jess, I just, I don't wanna be around people at all right now. But here's the thing, I love people, but I need space from people also. Anybody with me? And we, we can have healthy boundaries. But if I didn't consistently fight through the urge to isolate, I would shrivel up and die by myself. I know it's true. I would shrivel up and die in a corner by myself and I would have no life, I would have no light. I would have no family. It takes the decision, honestly for me, every day to say I'm gonna prioritize community with the church. And for me, it has to go beyond like what I do for my vocation, but I prioritize the commitment there. And I do it not just with our local church here, but with people around the country that we're connected to. And it's absolutely life-changing. And then the rest of the conversation pans out and we're gonna close with this intense thing that happens here and then take communion together. Bear with me here as I explain what I believe is happening here in the scripture. Jesus said, I'm telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. So he starts to get very confrontational. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You were doing the works of your own father it gets even more tense. If I'm observing the conversation at this moment, my heart is beating and I'm like, I wanna get out of this room. This is crazy. Like think about the intensity of what's happening here. They protest, we are not illegitimate children. The only father we have is God himself. So again, there, rather than humility before the son of God, they defend their position. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own, God sent me. 
Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. And so what Jesus is reminding them of there is that a tree is known by its fruit. Simple. He's not saying at all here that the devil must always be your father. He always has open invitation. Think about how he started this conversation. He says, if you hold to my teachings, you are my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will make you free. He's literally inviting them into the very kingdom, but they keep resisting. They keep being threatened. They keep rising up in anger. And now he's speaking the truth, still in love, but he's speaking the hard truth. You're actually of your father, the devil. And then look, he explains who this devil is, the enemy of our souls. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So what Jesus is saying is that the spirit of the murderer, Satan, is in them because they want to kill Jesus. Think of it. Rather than have humility and receive from Jesus, they want to rise up and kill Jesus. And Jesus points out, you are being like your father. And now, bear with me here. Remember, Satan and the sin that he offers us makes great claims but only speaks lies. It never actually works. He is literally the father of lies. And the lies he wants you to believe are murderous lies. They are intended to actually destroy you. And so the question for us in closing today is to discern what kind of, what kind of fruit is in our lives and who our father is. And this is a hard word, but it's right out of the text. Number seven, do you want a heart that desires murder or restoration, lies or truth? I'm asking it to you in the way of which one do you want? Because we have a choice. And bear with me here. Look, to me, look at me for a second because this is a really important point. Murder doesn't just mean to physically kill. Murder means to desire to tear someone down, to desire to see someone not blessed by God, to hate someone, to see someone put in their place and be separated from God and God's people. And I'm just saying that in this divisive chapter in our history, what do you desire for your enemy? Murder or restoration? I'm really glad that Jesus desires restoration for his enemy because I at once was an enemy of Jesus. And even when I slip into things now that are mistakes that put me back at odds with the work of God in my life, even then, the heart of God to me, even though I might be acting as his enemy, is a heart of restoration, not of murder. So the challenge for us is to be careful what our heart posture is towards our enemies because it will tell us who our father is. So don't slip in to the outrage culture of our time. We stand for truth, but how do we stand for it? In love. We've gotten really good at standing for truth and we've, at times all but lost love. Do you desire murder for your enemy or do you desire restoration for your enemy? And I believe that as we make room for God's word in our lives, those are the kind of confrontational truths the Lord will lead us into. Room for his spirit, room for his written word, and room for the church family. As the band comes up, I'm gonna read the last three verses. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me, Jesus says. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? He's asking these questions and then answering him, answering the questions. If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? 
Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. I'm going to read a little bit of the history about Pentecost Sunday, and it'll set us up for how we're going to respond with communion and making room. If you'll close your eyes with me, bow your hearts with me. Pentecost Sunday is a commemoration and a celebration of receiving the Holy Spirit by the early church. John the Baptist prophesied of the first Pentecost when Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus confirmed this prophecy with the promise of the Holy Spirit to the the disciples in John. He showed himself to these men after his death on the cross and his resurrection, giving convincing proofs that he was alive. Jesus told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the Father's gift of the Holy Spirit, from whom they would receive power to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. After Jesus' ascension to heaven, the men returned to Jerusalem and joined together in prayer in an upper room. And on the day of Pentecost, just as promised, the sound of a rushing wind filled the house and tongues of fire came to rest on each of them and all were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the power of God and Peter began the ministry for which Jesus had prepared for him. After the coming of the Holy Spirit, the disciples did not stay in the room basking in God's glory, but burst out to tell the world. And this was the beginning of the church as we know it. So church, let's bring our hearts before God and just make this our prayer. Lord, this Pentecost Sunday when we're remembering you, the same God who poured out your spirit those 2,000 years ago, as those men and those women made room for you, and cried out to you and responded to you with humble hearts. We're doing the same thing today and may we make room for your word and be filled afresh with your Holy Spirit, God. We're so hungry for you, Lord. We're so desperate for you, God. We can't do anything apart from you. So come Holy Spirit, fill this place. Pray this for yourself, church. Fill my heart, fill my mind. I commit my whole self to you. Forgive me for so often allowing my life to get so crowded that I have forgotten to make room for the most important thing. Teach me your ways, God. If there's a confrontational truth that you're wrestling with right now, just, I encourage you. Say, God, I humble myself. I humble myself. And I say yes, even to the toughest truth you want to speak to me. Search my heart. Search my ways. See if there be anything offensive to you, God. I want to walk in freedom. I want to rock in the fullness of your spirit. Our response today is going to be by taking communion. Everyone is welcome to partake. Grab the little juice packet right now. If you don't have one and you'd like to partake, you can raise your hand and our team will bring you one. Just know that if you're taking communion, you're making the declaration, I am a follower of Jesus. Take the wafer in your hand. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four, it says that when Jesus had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So go ahead and take the piece of bread in your hand and pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your body that was broken so that we could be whole. We thank you for what you did in our place. We thank you for the freedom that you offer, oh God. We thank you for the fullness of your spirit, oh God. We thank you for inviting us into the family, Lord. 
even when we were enemies. You have a heart of restoration for us. Thank you for welcoming me into the family, Lord. As we partake of this bread today, we remember your body broken for us. Let's partake, church. Go ahead and open up your packet of juice. Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And I want to do something a little unique before we drink this. I've shared before about how on Jessica and I's wedding day, we took communion and we had a cup that we both shared from that I didn't realize was going to be there and it had our names written on it. And it broke me down in the most beautiful of ways because it was like God saying to me, there's a cup of the blood of Christ which speaks the new covenant with your name on it. It's for you. It's for your family. And this is the blood of Jesus that speaks a better word over you. And I don't know if you've ever been taught that or if you know that about you. Jesus didn't only die for the sake of the church at large. He died for you. Like he personally loves you. He personally likes you. He personally wants you to be with him. How amazing is that? And he made a way personalized for you to this great salvation where your whole job in this is to say yes. That's what it is to make room. I say yes. Make no mistake. You are interacting daily with the spirit of the living God when you're following Jesus. Jesus said you should be glad that I'm going back to the Father because I'm going to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. The way we know God is through the Holy Spirit revealing it to us. The way the word is quickened to us is through the Holy Spirit teaching us. The way we were guided and comforted by the Lord is through the Holy Spirit guiding and comforting us. The way we walk in power is through the power of the Holy Spirit. The way we share love and the good news with others is the power of the Holy Spirit. The way we do anything that God has called us to do is under the Lord is through the Holy Spirit. There's nothing weird about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third part of the triune God whom we walk with. The Holy Spirit is who we walk with. It's who we interact with. Thankful for you, Spirit of God. Church, if you want to walk with anyone or you need prayer, encouragement, you need to be equipped in some way, you made a decision today that you want us to know about, let us know. Um, let me know, uh, Heather or Stephen or Oscar, any of our team. Um, and out in the floor, you'll see the groups, you'll see the teams. Maybe that's a great path for you to take a courageous step today just to connect. I'll pray this benediction over us and we'll be dismissed. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord made his, make his face shine on you. Sometimes this happens to me. <laughs> and maybe there's just... <sighs> maybe there's just something else God wants to do in a moment. I just... It's hard to even believe how incredible the words I'm just praying over you out of Scripture are. You have a God who makes His face shine on you. Your God loves you, offers you light, looks at you eye to eye, welcomes you into life. Your God is for you. 
just believe that God is speaking to someone here. Beloved son, beloved daughter. If you will just raise your eyes to me, the light of my face will shine upon you. If you will just lift your head and look to me. try that benediction again (laughs) the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace and the blessing of God Almighty the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always amen Love you guys very much. Have a great afternoon.